Good morning. It's good to be with you again. I want to quickly uh, reintroduce our invitation cards. I mentioned this briefly last Sunday, but as we step into this Christmas season, uh, this special time of year where people are, are thinking about, focused on the story of Jesus and his birth into our world, uh, we want to we wanna take advantage of that. We want to help people have an easy way uh, to be a part of what we're doing in December to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so uh, we have these cards available in our church lobby. They're also going to be in your classrooms later uh, in our adult classrooms. We want to encourage everyone uh, to think about a person or a family that you could be praying about um, and, and give this card to them. Studies indicate that over 60% of people say, you know what, I would, I would try to visit a church if somebody would ask me, if somebody would invite me. So we want to do that as a church. We always want to be doing that, but we especially want to be doing that this special time of year. So if you didn't get a card last week, look for one this week and be thinking about who is it that you can invite to be a part of some of the special things that we'll be doing as a church family to celebrate not only Jesus' birth into our world, uh, but into our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much this morning for your son. We thank you for not only who he is to us, but who he empowers us to be in him. Uh, And we pray that as we open up your word this morning, that we would be people who, as as James mentioned, that we want to be people who don't just receive information, but undergo transformation, God. And we believe that your word is designed to transform us, to change us. And we know that we have to partner with your Holy Spirit for that to happen. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to do that, that you would help us to open our lives and our hearts to whatever it is that you're going to speak to us this morning and that what you speak to us will change us into people who look more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as Keith mentioned, this morning we're going to be closing out this this study, this message series uh, that we've been going through together for the last couple of months, a a story that centers on Jacob, an Old Testament figure who some of us may have known about before this series and now all of us know a little bit about as we have focused on his life story. And he, he gets to a place where after years of living out the truth of the name his parents gave him. Jacob in Hebrew means the one who deceives, the one who lies to get ahead, the one who struggles against the people in his life because he's trying to always come out on top. That name, he lives it out. He takes advantage. He manipulates. He lies. He does whatever he can to get the kind of life that he feels like he needs to have, the kind of future that he thinks he, he deserves. And he ends up betraying his, his father, he betrays his, his brother Esau. He does whatever it takes, and he ends up blowing up his family in the process. And he gets to a place 20 years later where he regrets all of it. And he wants to come back home. But how do you, how do you come back home when you've done something terrible to someone in your family? I mean, how do you make it right? And, and Jacob, he, he tries to come up with some sort of strategy, some sort of plan that's going to give him entrance back into the family that he's damaged. Through his own actions, through his own decisions, he, he wants to somehow unmake those decisions himself. 
And yet he doesn't know how to do it. All of us who've come to a place in our lives where we have destroyed a relationship in our family, we come to that place where we regret it and we, we want to build a bridge back to that person, we start out thinking we know exactly how to do that until we start to really consider what it's going to take. And then we come to a place where we understand we don't really know how to do that. So Jacob gets to this place where he knows he wants to go back home, but he doesn't know exactly how to make that happen the way he's envisioning it, so he takes some time. And this was the, the chapter in his life story that we focused on last Sunday. He, he sends his family ahead of him towards his brother Esau, where Esau lives, and he stays by himself on the banks of a river, and he, he's going to spend the night trying to figure out if he can crack the code, if he can figure out how he's going to get back home. And while he's standing there on the banks of, of the Jabbok River, watching the moonlight play across the surface of the water, somebody tackles him. Somebody throws him to the ground. And he doesn't know who it is. All he knows is that they're strong. They're too strong. And he's not sure that he's, he's going to survive this encounter. Maybe he thinks it's Esau at first, but he quickly figures out it's not. It's a stranger. It's someone he doesn't know. Someone he doesn't recognize. And they start to fight. And, and Jacob does everything he can to survive. He, he kicks, he fights, he shoves. He, he does everything. And, and at first he thinks he's not going to make it through the next second, but he makes it through the second. And then he makes it through the minute. And the minutes become hours. And finally, just as the the light from the sun is starting to make the eastern horizon glow purple, this person who's been wrestling with Jacob all night long just gently reaches out and touches his hip, and somehow this touch miraculously ruins, it wrecks Jacob's hip completely. I mean, he's never going to walk the same again. And the pain had to be excruciating, and yet, even then, Jacob, who's always trying to come out ahead, he won't let go because now he's figured out the most important piece of information, at least as far as he's concerned, and that is how powerful this adversary is that he's wrestling. And so he thinks, if this person is that powerful, then maybe, just maybe, they can give me what I've always wanted, which is this future filled to overflowing with blessing. And so he says to this adversary, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And this stranger says, what, what's your name? And he says, well, my name is Jacob. And the stranger responds, yeah, I know that's the name that you were given. I know that's the name you've lived out. It's, it's the name that means one who struggles against people. And it's true, Jacob, you've struggled against people all your life, but that's not really who you are. That's not really your name. Or at least it's not going to be your name from this moment forward. From now on, your name is will be Israel, not one who struggles against people, but the one who struggles with God. And then the stranger talks about, in words of powerful blessing, the kind of future that Jacob is going to have. And just as it's getting light enough for Jacob to see the face of his adversary, he's gone. And it's in that moment when he's been given a new name and a new life, not a perfect life, but a blessed life. Not a life where everything goes smoothly, but a life, in fact, where Jacob knows he's going to be limping for the rest of his life. But now he knows who he's been wrestling with. Not just all night long, but all his life long. It's God. 
God's the one who's been wrestling with him. God's the one who's been struggling with him. God's the one who's willing to fight with Jacob long enough for Jacob to realize that he shouldn't be fighting at all. But he should be trusting, trusting God with with his life, with his future, with his everything. Not fighting, but trusting. And we talked last week about this this hard-to-understand story that says to us, I think more than anything else, that brothers and sisters, all of us in one way or another, we're Israel. We're the ones who think our fights and our battles are against the other people around us, and we think there's a fixed amount of blessing in this world, and that we've got to somehow compete so that we can get more blessing. And if I get more blessing, it automatically means you get less. But that's not really been the struggle at all. It's really been ultimately a struggle against becoming the kind of person we think we want to be or giving up and giving in so that we can become the kind of person God created us to be. This is the one fight, brothers and sisters, you always want to lose. This fight against God. Jacob sees it. He understands it in a way that he couldn't understand it before. And so he starts to limp forward into this new life. And he understands that even though his life's not going to be perfect, God's present in it. God's been present in it. And because God's present in his life, it's filled to overflowing with the blessing of God. That all along it's God who's been in disguise. It's God who is this blessing. That Jacob, somehow, he's so focused on it, but he doesn't see it, not until now. So he doesn't have a plan, but he does have an epiphany. And he starts to limp towards his older brother Esau. And, and he goes ahead and he does what, what he can think of doing, which is he, he tries to soften Esau's heart with some gifts. So he sends all these flocks and herds ahead of him, and he he sends his family ahead, I think, actually offering them as servants to Esau if that's what Esau wants. Jacob is completely surrendering himself to his older brother's desires and wishes. And finally, this parade of gifts and people has come to an end, and now it's just Jacob himself, Israel himself, facing his brother And they're going to have this encounter. And Jacob wants it to go well, but he can't possibly imagine how it's going to go well. And he knows that that according to the ways of the world, according to keeping score, this shouldn't just be an encounter, it should be a conflict. He doesn't know what Esau's going to do. And, And here's what's strange. He's limping, and finally he gets close enough to see Esau clearly. And he can't really tell up until this point, are the gifts working I mean, how does Esau seem to be receiving all this? And then all of a sudden, the Bible says, when they get close enough, Esau starts to run straight at Jacob. This guy who's limping. And we all know the one thing that really is different about Esau and Jacob is that Esau should win every physical fight they're ever going to have. And now he's running him down got your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 33. We'll read together starting in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob 
and punched him in the face. No. No, he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Does that remind you of a story that Jesus tells? It's actually a story about a father and a son. We call the story the prodigal son. But you know, it's not just a story about a father and a son. It's a story about two brothers who can't find a way back to each other. But it turns out Esau is a better real older brother than the one Jesus talks about years later. Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. And next Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel. And they too bowed down. Esau asked, uh, what do you mean by all these flocks and herds that I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, Jacob said. But Esau said, I, I already have plenty. I have more than I need, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, no, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this blessing from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. And then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. I'll, I'll go with you. I love this story. I love it for a lot of different reasons, but one of the best things that we learn is what's happened to Esau in the 20 years since Jacob has, has seen him. And you know, years in our lives, they don't always do the same things to us. You, you don't know if time is actually helping or hurting. And we find out right away, right at the very beginning of, the, of their conversation, that the years since Jacob's bitter betrayal haven't made Esau worse. They've made him better. I mean, the last thing we knew about Esau was he was trying to hunt Jacob down to kill him. And something's changed. Everything's completely changed. And it's because of what has happened in Esau's life in those 20 years that Jacob hasn't been able to witness. We really don't know all of the details of what happens there because the story's mostly focused on Jacob. But we, we don't have to see all the details to understand the outcome. Esau receives Jacob back with goodness and kindness and grace and that happens to us when we look up and realize that our lives have gone far better than we deserve and we know it. See, I think we realize at various times in our experience that, that we look at the way things are going and we think, well, this, 
You know, my life, there's, there's things that are happening where I wouldn't say it's perfect, but overall, my life really is better than I deserve. And we have a moment of gratitude. We have a moment of thanksgiving. In fact, we were all supposed to be having that kind of experience a couple of days ago this week, right? But we don't always live in that place. We don't always live with that sense of gratitude. We always live lives that are better than we deserve. We just don't always see it. Esau knows it. He sees it. And it makes him somebody who doesn't just have a life that's been impacted by God, but he has a life that resembles God. It turns out that God wasn't only watching over Jacob as this story has been unfolding. He was also watching over Esau. In fact, as we look at, the, at all of the names that are caught up, not only in this scene, but in the scenes that will follow, we find out that God's actually been watching over everyone in this family. This family that's far from perfect. I told you last week, and I'll, I'll tell you again this morning, they are as dysfunctional as, as a family as there's ever been. And it's important for us to talk about that in, in church because all of us live in human families that are marked by dysfunction, one way or another. And we can get to the place where we give up hope for the future of our families because we think we're so broken, we have so many destructive patterns that there's just no way forward. Well, this story reminds us that from the very beginning, God has promised to watch over us, to be present in our lives, to help us have experiences that while they're not perfect, they're far better than we deserve. While we might be limping through life, we are limping through life with God by our side, and that makes all of the difference. Esau throws his arms around his prodigal brother, and he receives him back in a way that Jacob surely doesn't deserve. And yet he desperately needs it more than anything else. And before they know what's happening, they're both crying. And I have to believe that that wasn't the plan. Jacob didn't think that they were going to meet together in front of everybody and start to weep. And the Bible doesn't give us all of the, the details I would love to know about why they're weeping, why they're crying. But my guess is if we, we could get to those details we know from our own experience that the answer would be complicated. But don't you think that they have to be crying at least in part because when they see each other for the first time in 20 years, the pain that they had somehow managed to live around, the pain that had been this dull ache, suddenly it was an open wound again the moment they saw each other and they realized how much it still hurt? Don't you think part of why they're crying on top of that is, is that even though it hurts, that when they see each other for the first time in 20 years again, they realize that they don't actually hate each other as much as they were afraid they might? Don't you think on top of that, maybe part of why they're, they're still crying is, is that there's this relief that they're both safe and sound and they're standing there face to face and maybe there's a chance that their past pain can, can be something they, they move past. Don't you think maybe part of, of why they're weeping is because they know how much work is still left to do in order for them to have any sort of real healthy family life again where they trust each other and they know each other 
they can be at peace in one another's presence. We all of us, at a time or another, have, have been in a moment of reconciliation that we didn't see coming. And we have all of those feelings. You know, Esau, Esau finds a way back to his brother that you couldn't count on, not in a world like ours. It only happens because of grace. It only happens because of God being present in both of their lives and bringing them back together again. I think if you really had to just simplify it, the reason they're crying is that finally, after 20 years, they're home again. They're home together again because home isn't a certain place. Home is any place where certain people happen to be. The people that we belong with. The people that we know we belong to. The people who help us be ourselves, our truest, best selves. That somehow we thought we could do it without their help, without, without walking beside them in our lives. And suddenly we realize that we weren't just longing for a place, but we were longing for certain people, for faces, for names, be embraced, to see that person again and understand that with all that's happened between us, the betrayals, the disappointments, the frustrations, that there's hope, that there's a way forward. Esau wants that. Jacob wants that. I think Jacob struggles more than Esau to understand the truth of how that's going to happen. Because, see, Jacob keeps thinking that the best way maybe to, to go forward is to, to bribe his brother to pretend like the past just didn't happen. I don't think he, he understands that there could be forgiveness given unless, he, he tried, unless there's some sort of exchange that takes place where he can convince Esau it's in Esau's best interest to go ahead and just, you know, look the other way. It, it happens in this awkwardness where, where Jacob's trying to give him all of these different gifts and Esau, he says, yeah, I don't, I don't need that. I mean, another way for what Esau, even though he's, he's not being this precise with his language here, another way he, he would say it is, I, brother, I've been blessed too. You and I thought that there was only one blessing and we were fighting over it and that one of us was going to win and one of us was going to lose, but it turns out God blessed me too. I have more than I need. So why do you think you're going to give me something and it's going to make up for, for what happened between us you know you broke my my trust you broke my heart you you lied you you misled do you think that's all gonna gonna go away because you got me something I wanted for Christmas that's not how it works I don't want your gifts I want us to have a true brotherhood again I, I want us to be family again that's not gonna take gifts that's gonna take work Jacob Jacob keeps thinking that he can he can buy his brother's goodwill, but, but you don't buy goodwill. It's freely given, or, or you don't receive it at all. And Esau wants a free way forward for them. He wants a way forward where they're both free. They don't have to be who they, they, they've been to each other up until this point in the story. They don't have to be who they've always been. They can be a new kind of family. Esau can see it. And he doesn't want Jacob to try to buy it. And, and it takes a minute for Jacob to figure that out. 
And then when he does figure it out, he makes an adjustment to the way he's talking about these gifts that he's trying to give to his older brother. And, and it's a shift in the language that I want you to notice. Because it shows some of the progress that Jacob makes in his life. For the most part, I'll tell you, Jacob doesn't change throughout this story nearly as much as I want him to. You know, he's a slow learner, and he keeps making the same mistakes. But in this conversation, he finally gets it, and he realizes that you don't make up for emotional betrayal with material possessions, that, that actually the way forward is going to be grace that's given and received freely between them both. And so he ends up saying, look, don't think of this as a bribe, Esau. Don't, don't think of this as a buyout. Don't think of this as me trying to wallpaper over what I've done with you with something shiny and new. Because what I've come to understand now is what I'm giving you isn't actually mine to give because it's blessing. And blessing always comes from one place and one place alone. It comes from the heart of God. And Jacob finally understands that in order for him to have a life of blessing, it has to be blessing that he shares. That blessing that's held on to for one person and one person alone isn't a blessing anymore, it's a burden. But blessings that are poured into our lives and then shared with one another, it multiplies the blessing beyond anything we could hope or imagine. So he says to him, let's share in this grace together. I'm not giving you something, I'm sharing with you. And then he says something that I think is so profound after the fact that we know he just wrestled with God all night and then he got a glimpse of God's face. He says to Esau, because we're now sharing in the goodness that God has, has showered into our lives, because both of us know that we have more than we need and we want to give that goodness to one another, when I look at your face, Esau, I, I'm seeing God's face. And he could have added, and I know what God's face looks like. I've just seen it. So, but, but what does he actually mean when he says it? And I think what he's saying is, I, I finally, when I got to see, when I glimpsed God's face, what I saw was a love that was willing to fight me to be found. A love that would not let me go. A love that was going to wrestle with me until finally I stopped wrestling so that, so that I could be embraced by that love. Jacob, uh, Esau, you're treating me that way. You're interacting with me that way. You are, you're, you're being like God to me. And that only happens, brothers and sisters, when we witness together the goodness of grace, not only in my life or your life, but in our lives together. And I think it's difficult for us at times to realize that it takes faith for us to see all the ways that God shows up in our world and in our lives. But this story assures us that if we have the eyes to see it, there will be times that God shows up in the lives and the faces of the people who are in our family. And not just the perfect people who are in our family, but maybe God shows up in the face of somebody who 20 years ago would have killed you if they had the chance. Because that's who Esau is to Jacob. Something's happened. Esau's different. Jacob's different. Jacob's Israel now, right? Everything's different. And he has the face to see God and his older brother where before all he saw was anger and jealousy and rage. He sees God there. 
I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about someone in your family who is the single most difficult member of your family for you to deal with. You may have just had lunch with them a couple days ago. Right? And, and this story is trying to get us to understand that if we have a God who will not give up on us, that we can't give up on each other. And that if I'm wrestling with God and God is trying to help me get to the place where I'm the person he wants me to be, then I've got to believe that God's wrestling with you too. God's struggling with you to try to help turn you into someone that maybe only God can see in your future is possible. But he's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. And maybe I don't know how to change you. Maybe I don't know how to, how to fix you. But God is still at work in your life. And, and maybe there's a chance for reconciliation. And I need to be ready for that moment. I need to be open to that moment. I don't need to have some sort of strategy because, brothers and sisters, the reality is Jacob can't crack that code. He can't figure it out because he can't do it on his own. He needs Esau's help. He needs Esau's heart in order to have a second chance, in order to find himself at home once again in the presence of his brother. They have to do it together. And God has worked in their lives. God has shaped them both. God has wrestled with them both to the point where they don't have to wrestle one another anymore. See, that's... That's what's amazing in this story to me. God doesn't just wrestle. Wrestle us to the point where we stop wrestling him. God gets us to the point where we stop wrestling one another. The way we always have in the past. And we realize that if we're going to have a life that's filled to overflowing with blessing, it's going to have to be a life that we build together with God's help. Not on our own, but together. A few years ago, my, my dad called me up. And said, son, I, I think I'm going to fly home and I'm going to go on an apology tour with my, my brothers and my sister. And I said, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it's been a long time since any of us have really spoken to one another or been in each other's lives. And for years, I have blamed them for that. And my dad blamed his his brothers and his sister for that for good reason. My, my dad's entire family struggles with drug addiction uh, and, and all of the, the destructive behaviors that often go along with that, dishonesty and stealing from one another and saying horrible things to each other in moments of desperation. And my dad just got to the place where he, he didn't want to be around that. And, and as, a, as his son, I, I understood that. But he reached this place a couple years ago where he said, you know what, we don't have a lot of time left. And I, I just want to make sure that, that I've extended grace to them. Even if they don't want to receive it, even if, even if there isn't a way forward, I feel like I've got to try. So that's what he did. He, he got on a plane, he flew down to where he grew up, and he worked his way through his brothers and his sister and he had a specific face-to-face -face conversation with each one of them where he said to them, I'm sorry for whatever I've done to contribute to our broken relationship. I'm sorry. And the theme that came up time and again in those conversations was the fact that, that my dad's brothers and sister, who, none of whom grew up with faith, 
Uh, when my dad became a Christian as an adult, they all felt judged by him. They felt rejected by him. They, they felt like they weren't good enough. More than anything, they felt like he was certain at that point that he was better than them. And he had denied that for years. I mean, I'd heard him say it to them before. They'd say, you think you're better than me? And he'd no, I don't. No, I don't. And finally, when he flew down there to talk to them, he tried to be as honest as he could. He said, you're right. I absolutely think I'm better than you. I've thought it for 20 years, and I've lied about it, and I'm sorry. Because while I may have, or maybe I haven't, made better decisions than you, I don't want to live a life where I think I'm better than you. I, I want to start over. And it wasn't a sure thing that they would all listen to him. It wasn't a sure thing they would all even show up. But after that trip, my dad called me, and we don't tend to talk very long on the phone, but this time we talked for well over an hour where he just talked about how good it was for them to find grace together, face-to-face. -face. I believe that God wants to not just show up in our families, but God wants to show us as families how to be better brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children and grandchildren. God wants us to refuse to give up on each other, to find a way back to one another. And I'm not saying that we pretend that the past hasn't happened, that we look the other way. Esau's not willing to let that happen, right? He tells Jacob, you don't just get to give me a bunch of gifts and then act like it's all fine. We're going to have to work on this together. This is a beginning, not an ending. And for all of us in many different ways, that's what that reconciliation is going to include. It's going to require work. It's going to require boundaries. It's going to require a plan. It's going to require practices. It's going to require so much of us, but it's the work you and I were created for. It's grace. And grace, it's, it's not something that we give as much as it's something that we share. And for it to be grace, it can't ever just be for me. It has to be for us. Just like a blessing that's kept to one person just over time becomes a burden. That blessing, for it to truly be blessing, it has to be shared. Grace, for it to truly be, be grace, it has to happen between us. Right where the brokenness happens. It has to come to that place and change us and transform us from people who want to keep score and, and, and set things straight into people who long for, for goodness. And, and not just to set things straight, but to but to set things right, to make things good and holy and hopeful again between us. And look, the reality is we don't just have these kinds of difficulties in our, our biological families. We struggle at times with, with our spiritual families too. And it wouldn't matter what moment in the life of a church that, that you picked. There's always people in a church family who've hurt each other. People who don't see eye to eye, people who, who have a hard time being in the same room together, people who pretend to be at peace, who pretend that, that they've somehow moved beyond the past. And what I want to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, is that if we're truly going to be the kind of spiritual church family God wants us to be, 
We need to find a way to not just as individuals receive God's grace, but we need to live in God's grace together. And if there's somebody in this church family who you have a grudge against, someone in this church family who you don't see eye to eye with and you don't know how to find a way back to them, I'm asking you to start that wrestling match with God once again to get to a place where you can, instead of wrestling with everybody else around you, you can let God turn you into somebody who understands that the life you live you don't deserve, that God's been good to you, when it didn't make any sense, God's been gracious to you. When it didn't add up, and that if it's going to change us, we're going to love each other that same way. We're going to see each other that same way. And instead of running towards somebody just to have a conflict with them, let us, like Esau, run to somebody in order to embrace them and receive them home. Because we can't get to this life a blessing unless we get there together. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their spouses will be in our church lobby outside of all of these, these major exit doors. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to be family for you. And so if you came this morning with any burden at all on your heart, if you came this morning with a great story that you want to celebrate, please go to these couples as together we stand and sing.